Do you ever get tired of hearing success stories? The scrappy 25-year-old, probably living out of her car, who through sheer grit and will, sells cookies door-to-door -door until she ends up owning the Midwest confection industry. The single parent, out of a job, with little to no support system, who works out of their garage and miraculously takes the dishwashing industry by storm. But what about someone who hasn't made it quite yet? Meet Alec. He likes cars. In fact, he likes cars so much that he has left behind a lucrative career in advertising, quit his swank, rent-controlled apartment in the heart of San Francisco, and is moving back to Cincinnati, Ohio to live in his mother's house and sleep in his old twin bed. You know, the one that he slept in when he was five years old. From there, Alec plans to leverage a modest amount of investment money, a garage, of course, and the help of a friend or two to launch his dream of, of becoming an innovator in the world of customized cars, importing and flipping everything from Land Rovers to Porsche 911s. Oh, and this is all happening in three weeks from now, March 26th, 2021. Will Alec succeed? Listen, and you be the judge. My name is Benjamin Russick, licensed marriage and family therapist, and this is my podcast, Look, just tell me what to do. I'm here with my astute friend. My name's Alec. Why am I having you on my show today? Uh, you said you wanted to talk about cars. I don't like cars. Cars are boring. But what you're doing with them is not boring. I hope so. <laughs> so the reason that I am having you on the show is because you are doing something really insane. My understanding is that you are leaving a life of ease and comfort to start your own company, and you have no idea if it's going to go well or what's going to happen. Is that true? Absolutely no idea. I think it's going to go well. I have no reason to believe it's not going to go well, but that doesn't mean it's going to. But you're a guy who's actually doing the thing. Yeah. And you're not just, I want to do this thing. You know, it's not just like a text message at 2 a.m. because you're doing a lot of cocaine because you don't do cocaine. No, I don't. Right? You actually send me text messages bereft of cocaine in the middle of the day saying, hey, Ben, I want to do this thing with cars. Yep. And that's pretty cool. And I'm like, wow, when I saw that, there's no cocaine. It's noon. This must be the real deal. <laughs> <laughs> so, so tell us a little bit about your past as far as employment and what you did for work. So I've worked in marketing and advertising for about a decade and a half now. I got into advertising and I've sold all kinds of products from luxury cars to deodorant, financial products, smartphones, pretty much any big brands that you interact with on a daily basis. And how would you characterize the flavor and texture of the advertising industry? Um, I loved it when I was in my 20s. You know, you meet a lot of really creative, smart people. Okay. But I always had a sign hanging up at my desk that I had inherited from my mother, who also worked in that industry as well. And it says, in the ad game, the days are long, the nights are tough, and the work is emotionally exhausting. But in the end, it's all worth it because the rewards are shallow, transparent, and meaningless. <laughs> <laughs> and you, right out of college, you were making quite a bit of money. You had like a million square foot apartment and- Yeah, it pays really, really pool, well. And you were just, you were living pretty large. Yeah, I have always been very comfortable. And that's part of what makes this so scary. Yeah, and, and Alec is also, he knows numbers. So he's the kind of guy who, he does statistics and standard deviations and weird shit with math and like does graphs and predicts. What did you do with the triple crown? Uh, so I, this is how everyone, this is how smart Alec is. Go. I developed a, let's call it an algorithm that scans articles about horse racing mm -hmm. and tells me who's going to win. And I've used that to... So, no, you wrote a program yep. that scraped the internet, whatever that means, of information. Yep. And, and did this thing where it used its little internet fingers to go out there and its little spatulas and scraped the information into a little basket and sorted it out and said to you, I'm assuming at probably 2 a.m., Alec, <laughs> look, look what you can do. You should bet on this horse because yeah. this horse, based on the the crazy shit that you taught me to do, is going to win the triple crown. Yeah, it, it completely predicted California Crumbs winning triple crown run in, what was that, 2015? And you bet how much? I don't remember what the going in amount was, but I won $180,000. Fucker. Yep. 
that is how smart Alec is. So Alec is the kind of guy who can walk into any advertising, pretty much any kind of tech thing. He's one of those people that just sort of money kind of follows him around and 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 f you for being like that you're one of those people i can't help it man i'm not interested in what you can't help i just resent you for it <laughs> and i need you to listen to that resentment and honor it and so your last job you were working it's a startup that makes smart home products yeah and that didn't go so good the pay was great there were some pretty smart people working there and i think in the long run they'll be successful but it was not at all something that I was super passionate about. Right. It was mostly just collecting a paycheck. And so here's why I wanted to do this podcast, because you know you hear about these things about, I followed my dream and I made it. And you hear about the story after the fact, like how I built this. Right. You, write, you know, fuck that podcast. I love it, but fuck that podcast. Yeah. It's like you're you're selecting for the people who maybe maybe they're brilliant or maybe like he always asks, and was it luck? That's what Guy Raz always asks. Well, right. How lucky were you? It's like they were all lucky, yeah. Mr. Raz. And it's all these people that are talking about all the cool shit they did and how they built their company. And it sounds like, yeah, that makes sense. But really at the end of the day, you know, Bill Gates and Steve Jobs also got lucky. You know, they were interested in the right shit at the right time. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, there and and people don't realize, you know, they look at Steve Jobs and Bill Gates, but there are dozens of companies that did the exact same thing at the exact same time that failed. Exactly. And so the reason I'm doing this is this is I, I would call it how I might build this <laughs> <laughs> or how I want to build this or, oh shit, I'm going to try to build this. So I wanted to do it before the fact because you're out on a limb. Tell us about your love of cars, which I don't understand because I think cars are so boring. Yeah, they're not for everybody. But I've been into cars since I was, I don't know, maybe four or five years old. My sister had a really good friend whose father was an orthopedic surgeon, had tons of money, and he owned a Ferrari 308. And we were kind of over at their house. All the kids are running around, wandering around, because people used to let their kids do that. And mm -hmm. I, five-year-old me sort of waddled into their garage, and I saw the car, and I absolutely fell in love with it. I would not shut the fuck up about it so much mm -hmm. so that my parents nicknamed me Dr. Ferrari uh, at a very young age. And part of that was like this weird incentivizing from my parents. Like if you if you want a Ferrari, you're going to have to become a doctor and work really hard just like Dr. Ed, okay. which is a weird message to give a five-year-old. Who's Dr. Ed? Like who knows? Nobody knows who Dr. Ed is. What's that? We don't know. We don't know. Google it. Yeah. Go ahead. Um, yeah. So I've been in, in love with cars ever since. I've I've worked on cars, both classic cars, German cars, Japanese cars. I've bought tons of cars throughout my life, sold them before I probably needed to just because there was something else shiny that I wanted. Mm -hmm. That's kind of the passion that I, I wanted to pursue. I want to get into the automotive business. I see folks who are doing it with no, you know, classic experience, folks who are not coming off a, mm -hmm. a job at Audi and deciding to get into kind of the boutique car business. Right. Um, they're, they're average folks like me. Right. Uh, what impresses me about all this is that you've got your rent control department in San Francisco. Yep. Which is really pretty good. Like 1800 even, bucks a month. Even now, it's, yep. how many square feet? Uh, um, I'd say like eight fifty. You fuck. Yeah. And you are you are leaving San Francisco. Yeah. To do what? Moving back to the Midwest. Not just to the Midwest. I'm moving to Cincinnati, Ohio, where to, I grew up. To your mom's house. You're uh, going back to yeah. your mom's house. You're going to live in her basement, and you're going to eat Cheez Its and play video games. <laughs> play video games. <laughs> <laughs> and start a company. And start a company. And the reason is, of course, is because there's no rent there. Yeah. And I, when I heard that, I'm like, wow, this, this, the, you're, what do they call it? Balls deep. Yep. Like you're doing it. You're I'm leaving the it. city. You have no job. You have no source of income right now at all. This is about a month away. Three weeks. Three weeks yeah. away. You're moving in three weeks. Tell us what you have set up so far. Just to throw out the, the like an understanding of the business. I'm making custom cars. I'm taking older cars, making them more powerful. Um, and more awesome and more awesome and he's importing them from europe uh europe south africa turkey listen to this guys he's like he's gonna be he's going from like slouch living in a rent controlled apartment to like world traveler importing weird stuff from south africa yeah. i'm gonna rack up a lot of sky miles 
<laughs> How does somebody just do that? I don't get it. Yeah, I, I've decided to do it. Here's uh, the thing I want to say before you get into that. Yeah. Uh, my old, one of my old bosses, uh, Melissa Stevenson, if you're out there, you are awesome. She said, um, I don't know where she got this, but she said a lot of people make themselves small. They put all these barriers in front of them, right? Where they think that, oh, I can't do that. I can't, That that's too big for me. And I think that the, the people that, some of the people that do really, really well in the world don't don't have that thought in their brain. Like failure to them is kind of funny. Yeah. It's like when something doesn't work, oh, that, <laughs> well, <laughs> let's go over here instead. Yeah. Are you one of those people? No, no. Oh, so how are you doing this? How are you getting the gumption to... to... Uh, I think part of it was having access to the money to do it. So that's a thing that I got to figure out. I don't know. I, after a certain point in my life, being deeply unsatisfied in my professional life and mm -hmm. having a minute to um, be unemployed during COVID mm -hmm. where I had everything sitting around. My mom gave me some really good advice and she's like, you know, why don't you like take a couple of minutes and think about what you really want your life to look like. This was right around the time that I was going to start applying for new jobs, start to mm -hmm. look for something other than the yeah. smart home company. And it was all just like more tech companies yeah. in the Bay Area, advertising agencies that mm -hmm. sell the same stuff I'd been selling most of my career. And, you know, I started thinking of, of what I wanted my life to look like. And mm -hmm. the thought of that being the next, what, 30, 50 years of my life, it just wasn't appealing. And so... Yeah. It's interesting to me that there's, there's two really in easy entry points into any company, and that's either at the very, very bottom or the very, very top. Yep. And people don't think about that. And a lot of times getting a promotion or a raise, the easiest way to do it is leave and go to another company. Yeah. It's not working hard. Yeah. You're just going to start at the top as you, the CEO. I've crowned myself CEO. Of, of CEO. I think it's awesome that you have a mom who gives you sound advice. She's pretty good at that. And the weird thing is, this is a woman who worked at a company called Procter & Gamble. It's the largest corporation in the world. They mm -hmm. make everything from pet food to Old Spice deodorant. She worked there from the time she got out of business school until I was like, a, I don't know, almost graduated from high school. Mm -hmm. And this is a woman who took a job that was not fascinating, mm -hmm. that she was not passionate about, and worked there for decades, mostly to provide for me and my sister. It's really fascinating to then see her come out with that perspective now that she's been retired for a while. And, you know, she's told me multiple times, like, yeah, if I had to go back and do it, I'm glad that we lived in a nice house and I was able to send you and your sister to college. But if it was really only about my happiness, I, I wouldn't have made those decisions. What would she have done? I think she would have been a teacher. Really? So she was a Latin major and taught Latin for a while. Oh, wow. And all she does now that she's retired is take college classes, teach college classes, or she's the head docent at the Cincinnati Art Museum. So yeah, the life is fucking short and silly. And I was I was watching a TikTok. We love TikToks, don't we, Alec? I so God, It's the amazing. best. It's the best thing, dude the best thing. I sit there for hours. I'm glad like, they threw in the little like interrupters. Yeah, it's so much cheaper than heroin. Oh, yeah. <sighs> anyway, so there was this TikTok of this guy. He was in a like a one of those Patagonia jackets on a hill somewhere on a mountain somewhere. And he's like, you know, life is totally meaningless. Nothing of none of this matters. Just do what you want, man. Yeah. Have a good time. Do whatever, whatever makes you happy. Fuck, he's right. He's so right. So here you are doing what makes you happy. So What's your plan, man? Tell us what's going to happen. So three weeks from now, I'm going to I'm going to move back. Basically, just putting all my stuff in storage, throwing a few suitcases in my car, and then I'll drive all day, sleep in Nevada, then do the same thing, mm -hmm. stop in Wyoming, then Nebraska, and then I'll be in Ohio. And I'm going to move into my childhood bedroom. <laughs> oh my god! Sleeping in a twin bed. <laughs> For the folks listening, I'm I'm six foot two, so and you're not going to be dating, I suppose. No, that's going to be put on put hold. hold. For a while. Like, yeah. yeah, I got a twin bed, and I live with my mom. Yeah. <laughs> you can come sleep in the other twin bed. Oh my god, go on. And basically, I'm I'm going to live with my parents until I can start generating enough income. I mean, part of it is is not spending money, uh, you know, that I don't have, but part mm -hmm. of it is also being able to put that money into the business. Mm -hmm. So until I feel comfortable that we're generating enough revenue where I feel like I can take money out of the business to provide for myself, I'm going to be 
living it at home. And that could be a couple of years from now, easily, right? I think it'll be about a year. Yeah, it'll be about a year. Walk us through the plan. What are you doing? You know, the plan is to import cars that are rare here in the United States, but not so much Such overseas. Um, Land Rover Defender to start, BMW 2002s okay. and Porsche 911s. And so what I'm going to do is locate those cars overseas, ship them over here, do some work to them, customization. Mm -hmm. I'm going to buy some that are in bad shape. Essentially strip it down to its bones and then build something completely custom right. from the ground up and hopefully sell that to people who have $150,000 to spend on a car. And how much would you be spending on the actual import of one vehicle? Like what are the, what, It's actually, variable, what, but on average, I'm hoping to swing into maybe 15,000 bucks for 15, each one. For each one. Yeah. And, but there's a lot of intermediary steps. Like you have to find somebody in those countries to find the cars for you that you trust. Right. Yeah. And then you have to learn about all the laws of importing and all the tax weirdness and who knows what and pay the guy at the corner to bribe him to do the thing to put the car on the boat and then you have to get the car to the wherever it lands in the United States and get to get the car from that port which is probably Los Angeles all the way over to freaking Ohio yep it's a process at first when I started looking at it when it stayed like a conceptual idea I was like yeah you know I could make money importing these things and I started shopping for them overseas and then the the sheer amount of just paperwork and regulations and laws and the number of signatures that mm -hmm. you need and the minutia in there like mm -hmm. apparently if i don't have a car detailed cleanly enough and put it on a boat mm -hmm. from europe to the united states they can charge me up to three thousand dollars just to have the customs and border patrol wash it oh god yeah and you had to read how much you said you read 150 pages of tax law or whatever it was one night i don't even remember i mean the one night that I stayed up reading mm -hmm. customs import laws, right. yeah, I mean, it was probably about 50 pages. Yeah. And see, 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 folks, Alec is the kind of guy who will read that stuff and remember it. I'm really into research. But who can read 50 pages of that shit and be into it? It's like, what kind of freak are you? I don't know. <laughs> it applies to, to my end goal. I mean, I'm not excited about like scanning a list of things that are cleared yeah. by the EPA to to import but, but is it exciting for is it a do you feel a certain thrill like you're reading this stuff and you're going for the gold and you're really like you're you're trucking it's like it must be pretty pretty energizing to do all this work yeah i mean by by the time i was done reading mm -hmm. and i really felt confident that i had uncovered that that little diamond nugget in mm -hmm. there that was going to help me run my business like mm -hmm. it, it was immensely gratifying because I, I was like okay well now i know which form to fill out that's awesome. Um, have you made any headway overseas? Like, how are you going to do that? How are you going to get these cars? So two avenues right now with possibly a third one developing. One is a, a good contact in South Africa who... Isn't that sexy, folks? He has contacts in South yeah, Africa. I know a guy in South Africa. He knows a guy in South Africa. That is bomb. Go. Yeah. So he's he thinks he can... This is going to sound so shady, but he can procure what I need. He can procure what, are, what yeah. you need. Okay. I, I feel like an arms dealer or drug smuggler, you know. And and you're going to pay him? And I'll pay him, yeah. Yeah. I also am developing contacts in Istanbul. You sound like you work at the fucking CIA. It's starting to feel that way. <laughs> Like I know it's not, but the fact that like contacts in Istanbul, yeah, who does that? I, who can say that shit? Me apparently. Only a guy who's going home to live with his mom. Yeah, and it sounds. In bed. When I say that, it sounds sexy, but you know, it's it, <laughs> at the end of the night. At the end of the night, I'm still sleeping. False in twin advertising. Bed. Yeah. Well, that's one way to get a date. Yeah, I'm, I'm developing contacts. I'm developing Istanbul. contacts in Istanbul. <laughs> <laughs> Want to come sleep in my bunk bed? So, and then you also have some mechanics and people that you're working with in Ohio, who are they? Yeah. So a, a good friend's brother was, still is a master mechanic. He works for Porsche and Lamborghini. He gets paid to work on the most complex cars in the world. And he also does work on Lamborghinis and Ferraris. So let me ask you something. What's a, I mean, cause listen, the other day, you know, Alec has been trying to get me into cars. He's been sending me videos and this is what a transmission does. And this is what, how a steering mechanism works. And just all this like stuff that I never thought I would learn 
and still kind of am not learning. <laughs> and he comes over and he says, I'm going to install this little light because he was obsessed with this. He's got this car and apparently, let me get sure I get this right. The, they're made in Japan. The J- Japan version has in the bumper, it has a little, a little brake light in the center. But in America, because it's cheaper, they don't have the brake light. They just have this little black smooshy thing that looks like somebody's anus basically pretty much and you didn't like having an anus on your car right so you went out and got the light and you came over to my house it was really cold and you parked out front and you said ben you're we're gonna learn how to do this and so we spent two and a half hours pulling off what do you call it the trim trim pieces trim pieces which is apparently all the plastic and the shit that's kind of in the way and did all this stuff and you were looking at videos on youtube trying to figure out which wires go where and all this stuff and screwing it in and we were on the laying on the cement and my neighbors were giving me dirty looks and that's fine and 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 kind of wrestling with this tiny little object and what i realized is that most mechanic work is just it's like a 3d puzzle and all you have to do is strip away everything and just like bloop and it goes in and you're done yeah it seems relatively simple to me it it, just like a big pain in the ass so what does a master mechanic know that your average mechanic wouldn't know you know there's there's several like different fields of being a mechanic you know you might have guys who are really good at suspension work you know or you have guys who work at muffler shops who are really good at welding and things like that or you have mechanics who might actually be like the guys who work on the engines okay or guys who do electrical work and justin my partner in this endeavor can do all of that he is the type of guy who has such an innate understanding of the design and engineering philosophy behind a car Mm -hmm. that he can pull up a electrical schematic of a Porsche that is written in German because being snobby Germans, they don't send that stuff over to us in -hmm. English. He can look at it in German and still understand how it works. Okay. Is it a matter of just like knowing like which screw or is it a matter? I mean, is are there like really refined techniques to installing a, a thing in a car? Give me an example of something that a master mechanic might do like on a hands-on level that is just kind of like watching a master pianist or something. Like what's something they might do? Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll just do a, a product that we're, or a project that we're hopefully going to do in the next couple of months is okay. we are going to ship this British car over to the United States. And he is going to take out the engine that exists currently in it and Mm -hmm. take an American muscle car engine, put that in there, manufacture engine mounts for it, manufacture an entire exhaust system for it. When you say manufacture, what does that mean? Um, Like weld stuff? Yeah, fabricate is actually. Like literally he has like little machines that, that, that shape pieces of metal? Yeah. Yeah, he has pipe benders and he will sit there and TIG weld the entire thing. What did you just say? TIG welding. TIG welding? It's There's two types of welding, MIG and, lingo. and TIG. Lingo. He's slinging the lingo with, yeah. the, with his contacts in Istanbul. Right. Go ahead. It's very different to do what we were doing, which is just taking one part and putting it yeah. where it goes and plugging some stuff in. He will actually sit there, take measurements, do some trigonometry, and actually build something from a, a raw piece of metal. A- actual trigonometry. Yeah, yeah kind so of. So he'll make pipes. Yeah, yeah, that's part of it. So he, I'm sorry to dig into this, but it fascinates me. Like he, he has like sheets of metal that he'll just like, okay, here's this sheet of metal, and he'll just get his tin snips out and go snip, 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 and and put it over the put it over the stove and heat it up and bend it and twist it and do the thing. Kind of. Jesus Christ. He's using different tools and different methods from what you described. But yeah, he'll take something like a blank piece of stainless steel pipe. And at the end of the day, we will have a complicated exhaust system that has all kinds of bends in it. And it has holes cut out for different sensors that are needed to make the engine work. Yeah. So that's the difference between a true master at his craft and you and I dicking around in your driveway. Because I've seen videos of people putting together engines and that looks, is that complicated work? Yeah, probably not for him. He could probably do it blindfolded at this point. Right. It's not necessarily complicated. It's like you said, it's a 3D puzzle. Yeah. It needs to be done very slowly. There are a hundred steps that all need to be followed perfectly. Right. And the plan is, is, is you're just going to, so they're, they're, they're going to cost $15,000. And then how much are you going to spend on the actual build 
so the goal is for some very simple models that we're just trying to flip basically mm -hmm. you know we'll bring them over and we'll tart them up a little bit you know put nicer seats in them and some nicer trim pieces and hopefully spend no more than 25 or thirty thousand dollars all in that's all and just a, just a pittance yeah it, i mean it's capital intensive you know more lingo We'll we'll hopefully sell those for about fifty thousand dollars. But the goal is to start building ones that are fifty, sixty thousand dollars and sell those upwards of hundred thirty hundred I saw one that was exactly what I want to build mm -hmm. that sold earlier this week for a hundred and seventy seven thousand dollars. So what is it about these cars that make people want to buy them? So they're rare here in the United States to start with. And the idea is that these all are cars that are pre-1990s because you can't import a car from Europe. Yeah, it's unless a really, you're a dealer. It's a really weird idiosyncratic law that only the United States has. <laughs> Why do we have that? Several reasons. Uh, I think part of it was Mercedes wanted to cut down on the gray market vehicles that were being imported. Gray market vehicles? So they weren't imported, you know, they're not stolen. Okay. But they're not shipped to the country by Mercedes. They're okay. brought in over by individuals and all kinds of them had faulty safety stuff and things like that. Another big part of it, I think. Cocaine under the dash. Well, more, more like a, a broken steering column. I think part of it was also maybe a little bit of a push by American auto manufacturers because if anybody, especially when the law was passed in the 1980s, if any of us could have just gone overseas, bought a car, and paid a couple grand to ship it here. Especially back then, nobody would have bought an American car because yeah. they're trash. Very good. Why are they trash? Part of it is a commitment to quality kind of thing. They cut a lot of costs. They cut a lot of costs in upfront engineering. Mm -hmm. They cut a lot of costs in materials. You can go out and buy a you can go out and buy a brand new Corvette, but when you sit down inside of it, it still feels like a little bit like a mid-level Chevrolet car. Mm -hmm. The panels will creak when you push on them. Or mm -hmm. It'll have a lot of plastic in the interior, which mm -hmm. is gross, mm -hmm. you know. And do the parts themselves, they don't last? There are some major engineering challenges that mm -hmm. they have not managed to overcome. Right. From what I've heard, my limited knowledge about like Ferraris is that they, they take it very seriously. Like each car is like a child or something. It's just like they, they treat them with yeah. kid well, gloves. Well, you'll have, uh, you know, your average Ford, right, is put together mostly by robots on an assembly line. Okay. Every Ferrari is going to be hand assembled from the ground up. So you're never actually going to get two Ferraris that are exactly the same. That's amazing. Yeah. And so let's talk a little bit about the appeal. For those of you wondering why I'm going on this line, I, I'm kind of trying to demonstrate the depth of this guy's knowledge and how much information he has and what it takes to start your own business and how much you have to really know. So tell us a little bit about that. The appeal. Yeah, the appeal. Part of it is these cars are rare, especially something like a Land Rover. They were only in the United States for a few years because they weren't popular. People bought other alternatives, which is unfortunate because the Land Rover that I'm hoping to import kind of has a legendary status mm -hmm. around the world for being like a tough off-road rugged vehicle. Mm -hmm. um, but they also just have an iconic styling element to them that makes them super unique. That's why they didn't change the design of this car, you know, at least from the exterior from mm -hmm. the 1980s up until two years ago. And so it achieved this kind of like mythical pillar of the off-road car sure. industry. People started to catch on here in the United States. Like, mm -hmm. man, these are really cool. They look really cool. They're generally pretty capable off-road, but we don't have them here. So part of the appeal is that they're rare. Part of the appeal is that they look great. They're probably better cars for like somebody if they wanted to go off-roading on the weekend, but these just look really badass. They're very militaristic. And what can these cars do that normal cars can't? Um, like I said, they're great off-road cars. They've, they've been used as not just a farm truck, but they've also been standard military issue cars yeah. around the world. And there's something magical about when it's yours, that you have your own fantasy around it. Like it tells the story of you. Cars all over the world, but especially in the United States, I feel mm -hmm. from the way they were marketed from the 1940s on up, mm -hmm. when, when cars stopped being just a black Model T, you know, when they started selling cars with cool colors, yeah, 
cool features and maybe a faster engine or maybe it was a limited edition. They are a real outward expression of individuality. Yeah. Kind of like the, uh, like, it's like a Western. It's like the horse. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And that's really what, really what you're capitalizing on is this extroverted function. Like as an introvert, like what kind of car I own means almost nothing to me. Alec, said you know ben for nine thousand dollars i can trick out that little toyota xd you've got parked out front and make it really fast and and i kind of thought about it for about three seconds and then i was like i don't give a fuck about that (laughs) (laughs) and it's amazing to me okay i'll wax psychological for a second here but for an introvert the primary importance of things objects that are in within imagination memory uh your feeling about something is what's of a primary importance for an extrovert it's literally the things that are outside of you that are of primary importance Yeah, that have meaning. That doesn't make it any less. This is a different way of deriving meaning in the world, right? And in America, we are, a, I would say, a supremely extroverted culture. Would you agree? Absolutely, yeah. Especially among people who are really into cars, there's a huge emphasis placed on external validation, especially in the the kinds of cars I'm selling and to the kinds of people. So these these are folks who are very into niche tastes. Mm-hmm. And, and I'll give you an example of the environments and the people and the communities these folks are inter- interacting in. There's mm-hmm. a tradition. I don't know where it started, but it's a nationwide thing where on the weekends, people will hold these things called cars and coffee. It's kind of like a pop-up thing. It'll be on like a Saturday morning and people with all kinds of different cars, as long as they're cool, (laughs) will flock to a parking lot somewhere and -hmm. they will park their cars and walk around and talk to people. I'm trying to sell cars that somebody would buy that, take it to a cars and coffee and have something truly unique. They would have something that people would flock to. And say things about. Yeah. How much of it is their personal expression and the fact that people just want to be admired? Oh, I think it totally is. I think that's maybe 90% of it. Last weekend, I went out with my friend Jimmy and we both have fast cars and we went and drove them through the bends in Marin at like 120 miles an hour, maybe the more. That's the be- like, like those windy Yeah, just roads. the bendy, windy canyon roads. You're a crazy person. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's super dangerous. Yeah, um, you shouldn't do that, Alec. Yeah, I know. And I always feel bad after I do because I get mad at other people when they do it. <laughs> My friend, Charlie, um, shout out to you, Charlie, you crazy bastard. He drives like that. And he was in his, he was in his, one of his huge trucks. He's always buying a new truck. That's like more truck than he possibly, yeah. he's like, he's built like a brick kind of he's got he the he's he's like pumped up he's got these tattoos and he's just a, he looks like kind of a squattier version of tom cruise tom cruise was a power lifter he, was he i said if he was oh, if he was so charlie and he's 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 gunning it down the road and he, he guns it past this i'm gonna say a mercedes or something like that some really nice car and the guy i guess noticed and pulls up to him against the red light rolls his rolls his window down says what the fuck are you doing? You think you fucking own the road? Charlie looked at him and goes, the guy goes, I'm just kidding. I'm just like you, man. Carry on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and, that, and that's like driving through roads of Marin that are all like twisty, turny. Yeah. Some people just like want to drive through the big tall yeah. trees. And this but... is another reason to hate Marin County. Because yeah. of people like you that go there and drive like maniacs. I mean, uh, the Marin has no reason to exist. It does not. Can you say more about that just for my own... What, why Marin shouldn't exist? Yeah, why should Marin not exist? I mean, it is the it is the most uptight, lily white, obnoxious, nosy, everybody's just got a bad attitude. <laughs> you know, I mean, who's going to, like, I don't want to live in a place where somebody's going to be pissed off if I don't mow my lawn over the weekend. Yeah. But those are the kinds of people that live up there. Yeah. Okay, I'm done ripping on Marin. So we've got this, I guess we're cashing in on ego. Is there anything else you want to say about all that stuff? We're cashing in on egos, but at the same time, because we're selling such a niche product, you know, somebody who's like a rich douchebag will go out and buy the Ferrari that we were talking about because they can afford it and it's flashy and they are amazing cars to drive. I've driven a couple in the past. Right. There's nothing quite like that, but we're selling something that I think is really going to also be sold to people like me who have been Mm -hmm. into this kind of thing since they were kids. Mm -hmm. While it's going to give them all that external validation, I still hope that on a nice Saturday, they take this car out on the weekends and they drive it and the sounds of the car, 
the look of the car, the way in, the interior feels, the way the steering feels. I really, I do truly hope we sell cars that put smiles on people's faces. Great. So that's your plan. Your plan is basically to flip a few cars the first year, make a little bit of money, keep doing, just sort of rinse and repeat until the money builds up. And then you want to move everything to Los Angeles? I think we'll split it. Okay. I still want to rem have a lot of the production and operations side of the business mm -hmm. remain in Ohio. Part of that is Justin, my, one of my partners in this endeavor. He's from there. Uh, he's got a family there. You know, he's got kids. And he also knows a lot of guys from the area who do the same kind of car magic, um, mm -hmm. which I would love to have them involved in the business someday. Mm -hmm. You know, it's also cheaper to do that kind of work there. And from a tax perspective, it can be more advantageous to have that stuff be in Ohio. What I want to set up and the reason I think it needs to have a West Coast presence is one, Los Angeles and Long Beach are the two largest shipping ports in the country. So it's a lot easier to get products there cheaper. Yeah if you're importing things from overseas. Right. But it also happens to be one of the largest luxury car markets in the world. There's a lot of, in that San Diego up to Malibu corridor, yeah. those guys buy more expensive cars than almost anywhere in the world guess, out, outside of like Dubai, which doesn't count. <laughs> <laughs> Why doesn't Dubai count? Well, I mean, when you have guys in Dubai who like, they have so much money that they can buy 200 cars and just like let them sit in a garage. Yeah. You know. Isn't Jay Leno into cars? Jay Leno is one of the spiritual godfathers spiritual of the car, car world. Godfathers. Yeah. And he's in Los Angeles. He's in Los Angeles. So Jay Leno, if you're listening, which you're not, <laughs> who I knows? don't know, whatever. Maybe. And also, you're also building relationships with parts dealers right now. Yeah. Exchanging emails with folks in the UK, the Netherlands, Germany. For what? Like mufflers? Mufflers, high-end suspension parts, mm -hmm. transmission adapters, transfer case adapters, but also like high-end bespoke leather seats. And you said the hardest part is going to be the paint? Bodywork is going to be the largest single expense that goes into any of these cars. Yeah. And you don't have really a line on that yet. I've got a shop narrowed down. There's somebody that my family has a long relationship with because of how many times their children have yeah. crashed the cars in the family. <laughs> my sister's been in nine accidents. Nine. That's all? That's all. Oh, well, she needs to up her game. Uh, may I ask about the money? Sure. How are you going to afford this, motherfucker? I have one benefactor here in the city. <laughs> yeah? Yeah, who's that? Yeah. That's you. It's me. Oh, yes. Part of it. Part, Part of, of it's yes, you. Yes, I'm giving Alec a chunk of money. And, it's uh, not all you. It's no, it's not, not the all only me. investor. It's not all, not all the only investor. Would you be comfortable telling me how much money you're going to start with? Close to $100,000. Okay, and that's enough? Uh, Yeah. And how about this mechanic that you're working with? I mean, how's $100,000 going to keep him afloat? Well, he's going to have his day job for a while. Okay. What we really need to do is prove three months of revenue to secure a financial investment from a bank. I see. And get everything wrapped up and looking awesome and say, hey, please give us half a million dollars. Yeah. I see. Well, shit, man, that's pretty cool. So I think you've kind of made your case. I think I've made my case for how thoroughly you've thought this through. He's shown me graphs. He'll like, I'll ask Alec a question about profit margins or some shit. And he'll send me like a whole spreadsheet. Like, well, okay, I answered your question. I made these adjustments in the thing. And look, you can see this number here and this number. He's, it's like, oh my God, dude, I don't even know who you are. I know. You just want to hear when you're getting your money back. Yeah, I just want my check. <clears throat> but I can say that the selling point for me was when I heard you were moving. When yeah. you told me you were moving, I was like, this guy, this is, this is real. That's when it really... Yeah. That's when it sunk in for me too. It, because it's such an ego, it's like it has nothing to do, it's such a business decision. It's nothing to do with, and, and also, and, and to, to Guy Ross's credit and to that fucking podcast that he does, the people that kind of built really amazing empires started in really obscure kind of scrappy ways. Yeah. All of them pretty much. They were living in their sister's basement or they were uh, literally homeless, living in their car, going door to door, doing those types of things. And so I guess listening to that podcast, you, what you're doing was very reminiscent of many of the stories that I had heard. And you sounded just as knowledgeable as those people. Yeah. So are you scared? A little bit, yeah. It's been a conceptual thing in mm -hmm. my head for a couple of years. You know, yesterday I called to book movers to take everything out of my apartment. Uh -huh. And that's that's when things got really real. As soon as I got off the phone, you know, I was just like handling the mm -hmm. 
little business bullshit of scheduling movers. Yeah. But as soon as I got off the phone, you know, I had put in a, a deposit on having somebody to come pick up all of my belongings and yeah. move me across the country to a place that I'm like not particularly excited to be. Yeah. You know, it's, it's necessary from a business standpoint, mm -hmm. but that's when it really sunk in yeah. of like, man, I've talked about chucking it all and doing this for two years. And then I actually put numbers to it a year ago. And six months ago, I started asking around for folks who would want to invest in it. Mm -hmm. Now the money's there. And now I've actually made arrangements to leave. And that is terrifying. Tell me it's, about the terror. Well, it's, it's, I'm very comfortable in my apartment. I've been very comfortable when I've had all these other jobs mm -hmm. and I'm putting myself far outside of my comfort zone. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm moving back into my childhood bedroom with no promise of a paycheck. And that's scary for a person who has been getting a salary from somebody else his yeah. entire life. Yeah. A long time ago, when I got my license in 2014, I, I was sitting next to a guy at a bar and I had my own plan. I was, my plan was to, to do agency work, like clinic, work in clinics, and then slowly build up my private practice. And I, I kind of I had this whole plan where I was going to like slowly grow my private practice and then quit my job, which is what most, I think most private practice therapists end up doing. Years ago, my, my therapist told me, he said like the richest man that he knows in, in Sonoma County was this farmer who started his business by putting a little trailer on a plot of land like a couple acres and planted nothing but beans and then had no electricity or anything and just camped out for a year and sold them and then bought doubled his land size and did that every year well not perfectly but like that until he became a kajillionaire and so i kind of did that like I, I i subletted a place and then just for a couple of days a week and then expanded got my own thing and and now i've got you know 20 30 patients and um, I was sitting next to this guy years ago. And I was scared as fuck, man. I was like, I don't know what the fuck's going to happen to me. Like, what if I suck? You know, what Like, <laughs> what if I can't, how do I, I'm just like, you know, because I've never been good socially. I've never been, I've never built anything in my life that way with money and people. You know, he said to me, you know, you're an entrepreneur. And I said, what do you mean? He says, you're an entrepreneur. He was actually the CEO of one of those dating apps. I think it was called like, I don't know, Sling or something like that. It was some weird dating app that he'd, he'd created. And it never dawned on me that even though I knew I was building something that I was an entrepreneur, like I, I just thought of myself as a therapist, not as a creator of, of something. And I think that you and I are kind of similar. Like we're both kind of entrepreneurs and it, it didn't, I guess I am CEO, like I guess, yeah. <laughs> I suppose. And ben Russick Industries. I, I was, I just remember the fear and I remember it was, it was constant. It was a constant, like this buzz in the background. What if you fail? What if you fail? What if you fail? And it was really only, and I haven't taken a vacation since then because I've been so like, every every client i every patient that i accrue is like okay cool okay cool i got enough let's, let's keep building let's keep going let's keep making this and it's like i don't ever stop and it's just this it's this buzz in the background of just like fear yeah do you relate to that yeah absolutely i i, I don't know what i'm gonna do if this fails right I, and i haven't planned for that you can't yeah i didn't have a plan for it i didn't know what, i mean what am i gonna fall back on i just got a master's degree in counseling psychology this is what i'm supposed to be doing right and I feel like if I start to think about, oh, well, if things don't work out and I'm back in Ohio, where, where are some places that I can go where, mm -hmm. work or who are some old contacts that I can hit up? I, I feel like if I start thinking that way, I'm not going to be successful with this. Right. How long do you think, I mean, how will you know if it's not going well? I think several rounds of not being profitable on what we're selling because these are big investments of yeah. money that need to have a return. So yeah. we can only lose so much money and you're giving up your low rent apartment in san francisco yeah that's a big deal and moving to a place that like i'd like my hometown yeah i do I, it was a great place to grow up but yeah i i'm not super excited to be there yeah i mean the flip side of the fear coin mm -hmm. is i'm also super excited yeah there's a certain freedom of knowing that like i don't have to get up tomorrow and go mm -hmm. to work and i'm never gonna you know hopefully never answer an email from my boss or yeah. work on a project that I think is stupid and a waste of my time, mm -hmm. you know? So shedding all of that stuff. Yeah. Calling the shot. Like you're the man. Yeah. That's the thing that I had took me a long time to step into. It's like, oh, I can just make the decision. I'm a 40 year old man. I yeah. can like, I actually have enough knowledge and know how to like, you know what? I think this is the way to go. 
Right. It's hard to step into that. If you haven't been doing it, yeah. Yeah. I've been getting my marching orders from somebody else my essentially my entire life. You know, your yeah. parents tell you what to do and then your professors yeah. tell you what to do and then your bosses tell uh, you what to do. And that's the mindset that I think most human beings are in. They don't think they can break out of because it's too scary. Yeah. A guy I was working with at Foundations who's a, he's a super genius and he's a wonderful therapist. And God bless him, you know, he's got a small private practice and he left the clinic where I was working where we previously and he went to work for Kaiser. Now, working for Kaiser is an awesome job. I mean, benefits, security, good company. Yeah. But I know he could he would clean up if he all he did was private practice. Yeah. I know it cuz he's so good. I remember once um so, well congratulations. What are your wild fantasies about success? Where does your imagination go when it goes nuts on all this? Yeah. I mean, I want to be nationally renowned for doing this kind of work. Mm -hmm. I want to be viewed as a pioneer. And what way will you be a pioneer? Well, the goal in five years is, you know, we're going to get done with fossil fuel powered cars. And so I'm already researching technology to put electric vehicle drivetrains into this stuff to have it all be battery powered electric cars. But they're all classic cars. I see. That hasn't been done yet? I'm sure that has been done. People are doing it on a small scale. But I wouldn't say outside of a couple of folks that I've read, anyone's known for doing that kind of work. Okay. Mostly exists here in California because I think we're a little more forward facing on the issue of electric vehicles. But in a 500 mile radius of Cincinnati, you have Detroit. And so there's countless old cars that are really truly pieces of American history that if nobody electrifies them, they will not be seen on the road again. And I think that would be really, really sad. So you think that gas powered cars will literally be banned from the roads? I think part of it's going to come through government regulation of banning things. I think part of it is going to come from government incentives to get people to buy those things. Mm -hmm. And also as those cars take up a larger percentage of what's driving on the road, Gas stations will become EV charging stations. The right. price of gas will go up because, you know. How high do you think it'll go? I mean, I could totally see it. 2030, I could see it costing oh. you 12, 12 bucks to get a gallon of gas. Wow. So having a gas-powered car would be kind of like having an old book, like a like a, yeah. like an antique book. Well, it's, it's interesting. You know, you brought up Jay Leno earlier. He thinks that electric vehicles are going to take over so much that original gas-powered cars are going to become what horses are now. Wow. You know, so cars replaced horses back in the day, but horses have now become this thing where like very rich people have them and they're into it. His prediction, I think it's a correct one, is, you know, gas-powered cars are going to become that kind of thing too. What's that game you play, polo with the horses? Yeah, polo. Will there be car polo? <laughs> yeah. I've seen people play soccer with cars, man. What? Yeah. How does that work? You got a big inflatable soccer ball and gigantic goals and you drive tiny little hatchbacks. How about something more badass where you take the doors off the car and you actually have to kick the ball, like lean out the car and kick the ball. It's a real car polo. And so when you become renowned, do you want to get even bigger or is that good enough for you? I don't want to mass produce anything. I don't want yeah. to be the Henry Ford of doing anything. All right. I want to be known for somebody that has like a real well thought out, deliberate artisan approach. Okay. That's awesome. I want that to be the reason that that people buy things for me. And But you also want to be incredibly wealthy. And, and Alec is constantly torturing me. He's sending me videos, things from Zillow, like, let's, Ben, we're going to buy this house. And it's like this fucking spread in LA yeah. that overlooks the ocean that's got palatial ceilings and like yeah alec sure let's buy that but alec doesn't think small he thinks no. big he thinks why shouldn't i be able to buy yeah. that fucking thing i think in know? seven years i'll be able to afford something like that that's awesome <laughs> i have to be confident when i say that you do you do I, oprah apparently she saw a house that she really liked in los angeles and walked up to the house and knocked on the door and it's just made like, an offer and hey bought it. it's oprah <laughs> it's oprah i'd like to buy your house what I'd like to buy it's well no well here's a lot of money yeah. no here's a lot of money hmm. no here's a lot here's all the money here's all the money <laughs> thanks for the house thanks for the house and can we talk about the name of the company or do you want to wait this is just a humble brag for you now this is not a humble brag this is an outright brag it is, this is yeah. a this is a shameless is a, yeah brag what's the name of the company, the company is going to be called zeitgeist automotive and ben, why 
Ben threw out the name Zeitgeist. I think at first we were just like looking for something that sounded cool. Yeah. And you threw that out and it was like, yeah, that does sound cool. And it works because it's about the past, the time ghost coming back. Right. And Zeitgeist Automotive is was born that evening. That evening. Via text as we both sucked on our vapes. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. I don't vape that much, but yeah, only sure when I do research for Alec. <laughs> <laughs> or anytime Alec, Alec comes to your apartment. Alec said he'd he'd give me one percent of the company for the name, but actually yeah. he, he didn't mean that. He said I'll I'll give you a percentage for some money. For some money. Yeah. For some money. Are we done? Should we talk about more stuff? I think we're good. I mean I think we're good. That was fascinating. Well I'm really excited for you. I'm a little jealous. I'm kind of cooped up here in my little weird universe where I write hey, books. You're and still a part of something. I am, I am, but I, I love. I grew up in San Francisco. I love San Francisco, but the idea of moving to a palace in Los Angeles is enticing. I wouldn't kick it out of bed for eating crackers. Well, I, I have said this to you several times. Like you can be as involved in the business as you want to be. Yes. Yeah, I got to learn about cars. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Well, listen, I think we're done. And thank you so much. And I'm really excited to see how the yeah. next couple of years. And I think what we'll do is we'll do a follow-up in a year. Yeah, totally. And see whether or not you're crying or laughing or both. <laughs> probably, probably a little bit of both. All right, man. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks, dude. All right. Thank you for listening. Pertinent information stemming from this podcast will appear in the program notes. Should you have any questions or wish to be a guest on my show, please email me at benjaminrusick at gmail.com or check out my website at benjaminrusick.com. Thank you for listening. And once again, if you ever find your plate is full, well, consider getting a bigger plate.